The scripture this morning is from Genesis 11.30 through um, Genesis 12.1 through 9. Now Sari was barren. She had no child. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sari, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Cana. When they came to the land of Cana, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country, on the east side of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, thank you. My name is Jeff Skipper, and I'm the church planning apprentice here at Church of the Redeemer. So if you don't know me, that's who I am. And um, what that means is we want to plan a church. For those of you who couldn't figure that out, church planning apprentice. And I'm being trained and raised up to do that. And so I ask you to please pray for me, those who are involved, and even pray about your role being involved in that, because it does concern you. And uh, we're actually going to discuss some of that this morning. Um, If you've been with us so far, we are going through the Old Testament. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis, and this is called the story of God, the beginnings. And today we're looking at Abraham, part one, mission and salvation. And you can't understand Christianity, you can't understand God's mission in the world, and therefore you can't even understand your role in life as a Christian unless you understand Abram. And so this morning we're going to talk about him. Now, up until this point, uh, you may have noticed a process going on in the book of Genesis. Uh, Chapter 3, we see the fall, Adam and Eve fall, and God comes in judgment. It's also an act of mercy as he sends them out. Um, And things get a little better as Eve uh, has a son, because there's a promise that there's going to be a seed. And uh, Eve says, well, God has given me a man. He's given me a son. And so there's hope, but it turns out to be Cain. Cain kills Abel. Uh, Things are not good again. So we keep moving on. There's judgment on Cain. Um, And then in Genesis 6, we see that everything that man is doing is continually evil. It grieves the heart of God. Uh, God, in his grace, chooses Noah to preserve uh, the the, the line of the seed. And he comes in judgment in a flood. And he actually, it's it's an act of recreation. He sets his bow in the sky to to show that he will not judge the earth in that way again. Um, So we think we're starting over. Well, Noah gets off the boat. He sins again. Uh, very quickly. His family goes south pretty quickly. Uh, You see this uh, recurring theme. We get up to Genesis 11, as Jonathan preached last week about the Tower of Babel, and uh, man has gathered together, together, they're building this tower, and they're saying, let us make a name for ourselves, and God comes in judgment again. And it's also in mercy. Every time God comes in judgment, he comes in mercy, because he scatters the people. And so here we are after the Tower of Babel. And if you read the end of chapter 11, things are bleak. It, it, it is hopeless. 
until God calls Abram by his grace out of this dark pagan city of Ur to bring salvation to the entire world. God gave humanity a mission at the beginning. And that mission was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That's in Genesis 1.28, and it's continually repeated throughout the Scriptures, early, especially in Genesis. And we're still doing that now. The only difference is we live in a fallen world. And so we are actually subhuman creatures trying to be rehumanized into the image of Jesus Christ, the one true human, what we were meant to be. And that's what our memory verse is all about. And I'm going to read it and expose myself that I haven't memorized it yet. We are being transformed into the same image. And that's the Lord's image from one degree of glory to another. But by the end of chapter 11, again, things look hopeless. Uh, Abram is old. We're about to find out he's 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, is barren. The story seems to be over. God tried again and again. Humans were just too sinful, and it's just really dark. Read the end of chapter 11. It's just really dark. And then God speaks. And God speaks into the darkness of Ur. And Genesis 12.1 is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Because again, after judgment, God shows his mercy and his steadfast love and his patience and his faithfulness to his mission and to his people in the world. And so in Genesis 12, one commentator said, God promises a people a land for them to live in, a blessed relationship with God, and through this elect people, a blessing that will spread to all the peoples of the earth. And so we're going to see some immediate fulfillment of that as we work through the Old Testament, but ultimately they find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ in the church. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So for us this morning, I want us to remember that this mission that was given to Abram, is still happening now, and it involves us. This is applicable to your life. It is necessary. And that's what Moses is telling uh, Israel as they're about to enter the promised land here. He says, God is working in you and through you to bless all of the families of the earth. And if you don't get that, you don't even get why you were created. And that's the same exact message that is to you today, to us today. In the New Testament, Peter is writing to the church, and he says, you're God's chosen people, made up of Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. You're one in Christ Jesus. And he says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his home possession. And I love stopping there and saying, why? I mean, that's great, but there is a purpose. Why? That they may proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There is a purpose why God has chosen you and saved you. Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is speaking to us, and so I want us to see in this passage today in Genesis that this is written to us as God's chosen people for us to see how our story fits in his grand story. Go, I will bless you. I will make you a blessing, and through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a big deal. Drew said a few weeks ago that we're not only saved from something, but we are saved for something. And we see this with Abram. God doesn't say, hey, Abram, I'm going to save you from dark pagan Ur. I got you out of there, and uh, just get comfy, and I'll be back. I'm going to save you from something, that's it. No, he rescued him out of darkness to be on mission to immerse himself in God's rescue plan for the entire world. And so I ask you very simply at the beginning, are you living on mission? 
Do you feel like you are living on mission? Or are you saved and you're just bored? In order to live on mission, we must understand our calling, the kingdom of God, and what it means to live on mission. So if you look in your worship folder, uh, the three points form kind of a sentence or a theme this morning. We're called to go on a journey of faith that God may be glorified in all the earth. And so again, at the end of chapter 11, Tara's family is introduced, but if there was any lingering flicker of hope left, it's put out here. We hit rock bottom. Humanity's been judged, and there just seems honestly to be nothing redemptive going on on the surface. If you read the end of chapter 11, again, it seems, where is the redemption? Where is this promised seed that we're looking for? Yeah, there's Abram, but he's 75 years old and his wife's barren. So it's just really really dark, really dark. And an unexpected jolt comes in Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your father's house to the land that I will show you. But why Abram? Why is Abram called? He's living in a pagan land. His family was in a cult that worshipped moon gods. There have been excavations at this city of Ur. This is in southern day or modern day southern Iraq. And there's been much evidence of human sacrifice found. This was just a very dark place, and uh, Abram is an old man living in a pagan land, and he's by no means the ideal candidate for the job. He's by no means. He's, his, his resume is not at the bottom of the stack. It's crumbled up and thrown in the garbage. 75, wife's barren in a dark pa- pagan land, and God calls him in an amazing act of grace. Romans 8 talks about the call of God on our life, issuing from his foreknowledge in order to accomplish his eternal purposes. There was nothing in Abram that merited the call of God. He was at the very bottom of the stack, and that's true of you too if you're a Christian. God chooses the lowly and the weak, the unqualified, the unlikely, and those who have nothing to boast of so that all will know that everything is from him and through him and to him that he would be glorified. Tim Keller is a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, and he said, the call is an act of God's grace. You're not called because you're qualified. You're qualified because you're called. Abram was anything but qualified, but God chose him and called him to go on this blind mission. He didn't tell him where he was going, to rely upon the bare word of God alone to bring salvation to the whole world. And so we too are called by his grace and therefore qualified and commissioned to engage in his global purposes. So Christian or non-Christian, quit trying to qualify yourself. If you're a non-Christian, hear the gospel that you are qualified in Jesus Christ alone. If you are a Christian, you you won't be of much use to the kingdom of God if you're continually turning in upon yourself in order to qualify yourself. Simply hear the gospel of God's grace. You have nothing to do with it. Hear the call of God and go. So Abram hears the call of God. But the next question is, why does he obey? Well, first of all, because God's word doesn't return void. When he speaks, things move. Salvation occurs. Things are created. And secondly, because he believed. In Genesis 15, uh, we'll hear as we go on in this series, Abram believed God. And there are seven promises here in verses 2 and 3. God promised Abram that he'd make him a, a great nation, that he would bless him. He would make his name great. He would make him a blessing to others. He would bless those who bless him, curse those who curse them, and through him he would bless all of the families of the earth. And Abram obeyed out of faith. He trusted God to fulfill his promises. 
In the New Testament, he's, he's even called the man of faith, even in the face of unlikely circumstances. He, again, he looked hopeless for a seed. And he said, to your offspring I will give this land. And he looked completely hopeless. This had to sound crazy to Abram. And let me ask you right now, are you cynical to what God has called you to and to what God is capable of? And is that why you haven't moved at God's calling on your life? Or do you think that this type of calling is just for a, a chosen few? For like a super, the super spiritually called. But this, does, this type of calling doesn't necessarily apply to you. Because I have a feeling that many of us think that the bulk of Christians are saved by God, but they're not really called in a way that changes everything in their lives and that they play a role in God's purposes for the entire world. And that's not true. God doesn't have a hierarchy or a caste system of the super spiritual and then the normal Christians. You're called in this way. All Christians are called to go and be a part of what God is doing in the world. And we have to see all of life through the lens of God's heavenly kingdom coming to earth and us being called to be a part of that. So maybe you've heard the call of God on your life, but have you left? What does it mean to go? That's the first word the Lord says to Abram. Abram is called to go and leave everything. And this word is urgent. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not optional. The King James Version says, get thee out. And that, I think people move at King James language. Try that with my kids. Get thee out, and they, they move. You know? The call to go is a call to die. The call to go is a call to die. This is a huge deal for Abram. He is, in a sense, faced with death. Death to life as he knows it. And listen, in some ways, he doesn't have it so bad in Ur. As bad as Ur sounds, I don't know who come up with that name and they stuck with that, um, but Ur of the Chaldeans was actually very sophisticated during this time. It was politically and economically a, a powerful center. In the early 20th century, you can look it up, Sir Leonard Woolley did 13 years of excavations at, at Ur. And it was amazing what they found. They found lots of gold. They found this huge ziggurat, which is this, like, you know, the stepped temple. And uh, they, they even found evidence that they had running water in many homes. And we're talking, like, 4,000 years ago. So this is somewhat like the New York City of the ancient world. So what I want you to understand is Abram is not just walking around, kicking the dirt with nothing going on in his life. He's kind of like living in New York City. He had things going on. He had a huge family. He had goods. He had servants. He wasn't someone with nothing to lose. He wasn't just wandering around saying, hey, I'll take whatever comes to me. I'm just kind of hanging out. Anything comes my way, I'll take it. He had things going on in his life just like you. And the call of God came, and it was disruptive, and it was probably inconvenient, and it rocked his world. And that's what the call of God does to your life. In this call to go, God called Abram to stop trusting in all of the things that gave him security and comfort and to trust God alone. And ultimately, it exposed the idols in Abram's life. The call of God will expose the idols in your life. If you haven't had to make some tough decisions and let go of things because of the call of God, then I'm going to guess that you, you're not going as God has called you to go. And if you're still not having to make uh, tough decisions in obedience to the call of God on your life, and because you value the things of the kingdom of God, then I'm going to guess that you're not being obedient to what God has called you to. So where do you find your security? And do these things keep you from going and committing to full involvement in what God is doing? 
and what he's called you to, whether those are relationships or image or status or money or comfort or reputation. And please don't understand me. This call to go is just not for those who feel called to to, to leave their job and go to the mission field. It may be that for you, but I'm talking to businessmen and young couples and stay-at-home moms and teenagers and empty nesters and the elderly, everyone who is here, don't get the wrong idea of what going looks like. It's a missional mindset that permeates every area of your life, and it transforms your current position in life because you are on mission for the kingdom of God. And like Colossians says, you are serving the Lord Christ in all that you do. So if you've heard the call of God and you haven't left, the things that are probably holding you back are things that we would call good things, but they're idols. Abram had to leave everything. He was faced with this exact situation. So some questions that you may ask yourself is, do you have commitments that inhibit you from going and being obedient to the call of God on your life and participating in his work in the world? Can you let go of those things or are you in bondage to them? That was a question that Abram was faced with. It could be leaving a job to go to the mission field or it could be a call to strip down your lifestyle because you're so financially stretched to luxuries that you can't give to the ministry or participate in the ministry that you feel God has called you to. Those things may not be wrong in and of themselves, but listen, they're wrong for you if they hinder your obedience to the call of God on your life. God's call will stop you in your tracks, and you'll freeze, and you'll look at the call of God, and you'll look at the idols in your life, and you'll have to make a decision. Abram was faced with the exact same thing. He heard the call of God in Ur. He had things going on. He had things going on. He had to make a decision. I'm either going to leave everything or I'm going to cling to these idols and not be obedient to the call of God on my life. So what are the things that keep you from going to responding in obedience to God's call in your life? The first step in obediently responding to the call to go is to die. And, and those remind us of the call of Jesus and the gospel. Come, follow me. Go into all nations. Whoever leaves houses or fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, or lands for my sake and the gospel, he tells the rich young ruler to sell all that he has. He says, sit down and count the cost. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, come and die. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Sounds very much the same. And leaving these things that are good in your life will make you look foolish to the world. Do you think Abram dealt with persecution from those around him in the earth? Paul says if you set your mind on things that are above and you value the things that God values, then you'll look foolish to the world. Some of your peers will think your decision-making looks weird. Jesus said you'll be persecuted for righteousness' sake. I struggle with that from others. And my own unbelief. I don't want to look foolish to the world, so that exposes my idol of needing approval from other people. Uh, Your your decision-making will look kind of weird to the world because you value the things that God values. My wife and I were having a conversation the other day about something big in our lives. It was a big decision for us. And as we talked about it, she finally turned to me and she said, Is this crazy if we do this? Is that crazy? And I stopped and thought about it and I said, Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's going to be harder, and we're going to suffer more, and it'll be more painful and frustrating, but the question we have to ask ourselves, is God calling us to do this, and do we trust him, or do we value the things that the world values? 
And that was one of my finer spiritual moments of my life. That's not me normally. I was just like floating on a cloud, just nailed that answer uh, in line with the Bible. But it's true. Abram probably have the, had the same conversation with Sarah. Surely she looked at Abram and said, is this crazy? And he probably said, well, yeah. I mean, I think this decision-making looks pretty crazy from a worldly perspective, but we value the things that God values, and that means we have to leave these idols in our lives to pursue what God has called us to, you know? The first question that I should ask myself when facing a big decision in life is not, would this line up with Dave Ramsey's baby steps to financial freedom? That shouldn't be the very first question I ask myself. But unfortunately, it has been. That's been helpful for us and our household. But what if God's call in our lives is going to affect our emergency fund that we worked really hard to build up? I don't want to drain my emergency fund. And so that has kept me from being obedient to what I feel God has called us to because I don't trust God. That exposes my unbelief. It exposes my lack of faith. Because God's call may conflict with Dave Ramsey's baby steps, believe it or not. And I like Dave Ramsey. To seek God's kingdom and to be obedient to his call, we must leave our idols and our identity. In the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, it's one of the most famous books in the last 500 years or in history, really. Uh, At the beginning, the main character is called to go. It's an allegory. He's called by God to go. His name is Christian. And he is mocked and jeered at by his family and friends and peers, and they tell him to come back. Same situation. Probably the same thing Abram's facing in her, and you're facing in your life. And he takes his fingers, and he puts them in his ears, and he just runs. And he starts yelling, life, life, eternal life. Can you relate to that? Living on mission and making decisions based on kingdom of God values will be harder. They, they, will, they won't be as comfortable. They're risky from a worldly perspective. They hurt more, but they lead to fruit and glory. And they're based on the promises of God, which are sure. And in a sense, we've already inherited those promises in Christ. So Abram takes his fingers, in a sense, and puts them in his ears. And he runs from everything he's ever known, yelling, life, life, eternal life. From 30,000 feet, all of our calls look the same. It's all a call to go, to die, and to live on mission for the glory of God. But on ground level, your particular call may look different to what God has called you to. And that's what's beautiful about the body of Christ. Your particular call may be to go on the mission field. It may be to be a stay-at-home mom. It may be running a business, but it's all the same. It involves dying and living in God's story. So we see that the call of God is gracious, but it's also very costly It exposes our idols, it changes our values and goals and everyday decisions, and it brings persecution, but it promises glory. And in faith, Abram obeys the call of God. So we're called to go on a journey of faith that God may be glorified in all the earth. We're called to spread the image of God throughout the earth as his representatives, that the earth would be blessed through us. Jason Hood, in his book, I'm reading it now, it's called Imitating God in Christ. He said, while angels would be more efficient and German shepherds, parrots, and dolphins less sinful, God seems happy to use the work of human ambassadorial representatives to advance his kingdom. That's who he's chosen, us, to represent his kingdom. He chooses to mediate his blessings to the world through Abram and his family. He calls him to go on a journey to do this. So Abram was a pilgrim, not a builder like those in Genesis 11. He knew his citizenship was in heaven. And so, as we read earlier, Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So it was a journey of faith, and it required surrender because God said, go to a place that I will show you. He doesn't even tell him where. And notice Abram's response. He doesn't say, God, I'll go if you tell me exactly where we're going and exactly how we're going to get there, then yeah, I'm game. But he doesn't do that. Because you know what? That's not submission. And that's not faith. That leaves you in the driver's seat of your life. But Abram went out not knowing where he was going, but he knew who he was going with, and he knew that God works everything together for the good of those who love him and for his own glory. And that's Christianity. It's a journey of faith. If you've read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and I know y'all are popular for Lord of the Rings illustrations around here, and I didn't force this in here. It just really fit. Um, I had the opportunity to read both of those books last year, and they're two fundamentally different types of stories. Uh, The Hobbit is an adventure, and an adventure is it's lighthearted, and it's fun, and it's a there-and-back-again story. Uh, You go, and you, you do your adventure, but you come back at the end, and you pick up life where you left off, and it's kind of a come back home, live happily ever after type of thing. That's what an adventure is. But Lord of the Rings is a quest. And, and, and a quest finds you. It, you don't choose it. It chooses you, and you're called to it because of what's involved. And the big difference is you never really come back from a quest. You either die while you're gone, or you're changed so much that you never really come back. Christianity is not an adventure. It's not a there and back again. It's more of a quest. It's a get out. It's a whole new agenda, off with the old, on with the new. It will not enrich the life you're living now. It's a whole new life. And so to answer the call of God is to get out not knowing where you're going, but going in obedience to his call and knowing that you'll never come back. It's a journey of faith. Even in the face of doubts, Abram had much to doubt about. Unbelief that God was going to provide a seed when he's 75 and his wife is barren. And fear, because in verse 6 it says the Canaanites were in the land. He had reasons to doubt, but neither stop him from going. He moves out, bold in his faith. And so we see the beginning of this journey taking place in verses 4 through 9. God says go, and then in verse 4, I love how anytime it talks about Abram, it says, so Abram went. That simple. We see the same thing when he's called to sacrifice Isaac in Genesis 22. He trusted God to guide him, and to provide for him. But a sure way to live a small, boring life is to live a life of self-preservation. That's a sure way to live a, a small, boring life. But Abram was called to go. But if you have to know every single detail of what lies ahead and have to control every single thing in your life, uh, that's a boring life. And I struggle with that. But, but faith follows God based on his word alone, without a detailed Google Maps GPS that lays out every turn of the road as you go. Abraham's journey was one of faith. He trusted in God every step of the way, but it was also a journey of worship. We see in, in this passage that Abram, as he goes throughout the land, is setting up altars. Twice in these few verses, he sets up altars. He goes to Shechem, which is right in the middle of the land, which is like the, the big pagan religious center of the land, and meets with God. God appears to him, and he sets up an altar right there and meets with God. His journey was one of worship, not self-preservation. So if you're making decisions, even small ones, based on the kingdom of God and, and, and his mission and your role in that, that's a journey of worship. But if all of your decisions are for self-preservation, you're holding on to idols and you haven't gone 
you haven't left, and that's a journey of self-worship. We're called to go on a journey of faith that God may be glorified in all the earth. God's plan was and is to fill the entire earth with his image. And, and humanity was given that, that role, and we messed that up, but he promised a seed that would come and make everything right again. And Abram was chosen as this blessing bearer of salvation, but he was just a shadow of Jesus Christ. Because Abram never really inherited the, la- the land. He got a small burial plot for his, for his wife, and you're kind of like, what happened? But then Romans 4 tells us he was heir of the entire world. He was a shadow of Jesus Christ. He's the true Abraham. He's the better Abraham. Because in 1 John 4, 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. That Greek word means to cause someone to depart for a particular purpose. So like Abram, Jesus is called to go. It was determined before the the world began. And it was all according to the purpose of God. And Jesus was obedient. And he lived the kingdom of God and and lived on God's mission in proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he went to the cross to redeem us. And so the old hymn, And Can It Be, says, He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless, helpless race. He left his country. He left his Father's house so that he would be a blessing. God will bless those who bless his son, and he will curse those who curse his son, and all of the families of the earth will be blessed through Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't keep the blessings of Abraham for himself, but he shared them with us. He's the true heir, but he did not keep them for himself. He made us into a great nation. The Father sent the Son into the world, and the Father and the Son sent the Spirit into the world, and the Father, Son, and Spirit send the church into the world. And so our mission is his mission. Do you remember when Saul was, was going on the Damascus road and he was converted? And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? And Saul was persecuting the church. Our mission is his mission. So out of the overflow of the blessings that we experience in him, we seek to bless others. And, and one question you might, might have is, what about the scope of redemption? What about the land? Because it says, to your offspring, I'll give this land. And it's repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. But the, the scope of redemption is the entire world. Because verse 3 says, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Romans 4 says, Abraham and his offspring will be heirs of the world. You see, God's plan of redemption, which we sang this line earlier, is for the whole earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The promised land being given to Abram in the Old Testament was just a foreshadowing. It was all preparatory for Jesus Christ and his church uh, covering the whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. And so this is written to us. We're called to go. We are to bless the world. God's blessing through us and be encouraged. The gospel has gone out to many nations. And there's like over 2 billion Christians. But there's still work to do. In the New Testament, the word land is never used in reference to the scope of redemption. But the word earth is used 181 times, often in reference to the scope of redemption. The meek shall inherit the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. He will gather his elect. From the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. The Old Testament land promises were never consummated on purpose. 
They were preparatory for Jesus Christ and his church. And so, what does it look like for us to live on mission? Corporately, it looks like church planning here at Church of the Redeemer. One specific way we seek to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is by planting churches. We want to see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fill Warner Haven as the waters cover the sea. And further, let me read you a little bit of the vision of the Church of the Redeemer. You can go on the website and find this. The church is the body of Christ and therefore exists to continue his mission in the world in his absence. Our mission is his mission. And so we pray your kingdom come. Our mission is to make Jesus' invisible kingdom visible in Winter Haven in the world. And so we want to plant churches. You know what that requires? First of all, it's a call to go, and it's a call to die. It hurts. Because this church will have to die, in a sense, to send out people to go plant churches. And this is not new to you guys who have been around here for a long time. You hear this all the time. So I ask you now to pray about church planting and your call in that. When you first hear it, you might say, well, that sounds sweet, that sounds nice, but you quickly dismiss it. That's not for me, though. That's, I mean, that's for whoever else, but surely that's not for me. What if it is for you? This is my shameless plug. Come on, you know, join me. I just want you guys to take that seriously, and I, I'm sure you do. But I do want you, when you hear church planting, and we're going to go plant a church, and we're going to start another congregation in Easter 2014, which is not that far away, which may be the first time you've ever heard that. That's cool, exciting. But what if you're called to go? What if God is calling you to go, but you're clinging to your idols of comfort and security? God will bless those who go. I believe that. And you're not, don't feel guilty if you don't go. That's what you're called to do. Everyone has a particular call. But I think some people here will be called to go and plant this congregation. So pray about that and consider that because that's the way we want the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to fill Winterhaven. And there is a death involved, surely. Count the cost. But there is a blessing and there is a promise of the kingdom of God covering Winterhaven. So consider that. Corporately, we want to plant churches. But what about individually? What does it look like to live on mission? How do we live on mission as individuals? Well, I think it looks kind of like Abraham and Jesus. It's, one, it's a journey of faith and sacrifice and suffering and blessing and glory. And he calls us, his people, to mediate his blessings to the entire world. You've been blessed for a purpose. You are not the end. You're a means to a further end. You've been blessed so that all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So how are you using what God has blessed you with to be a blessing? How can you be a blessing to your neighbors, to your co-workers? I mean, like literal neighbors who live next door to you. Your co-workers, your family, and the people you live around. You can be a blessing to them. Get creative. Think about it. Because here's the bottom line question. How else will those who are outside of the church, who are under the judgment of God, experience the blessings of Abraham? Please tell me. Absolutely the work of the Holy Spirit. But he uses his church. All of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So go. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Because, unfortunately, the reason I'm stressing that is because I believe we have a lot of bored Christians. A lot of bored Christians. Because they do not see 
the kingdom of God and that they are living on mission and that their place right now that they live in and your position in life has been transformed because you are living on mission for the glory of God to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. And that's not for the super spiritually called. That's for all Christians to go. So if we're on mission for him, that means our decisions are no longer based on what's most comfortable for us and what's best for our safety and our status. The question becomes, where can I most be a blessing? Tim Keller put it this way, who I referred to earlier. The call of God says, if you seek to be blessed, you'll be empty. If you seek to be a blessing, I will bless you. And so you're no longer just a stay-at-home mom. Your position in life has been transformed. You're on mission for the glory of God and relying on the Holy Spirit. You are raising up children to be images of the living God and to send them out and to see His kingdom come. You're on mission. If you're a businessman, you're on mission with those you work with. You're working to evangelize to those you're around. You're working in creative ways uh, uh, to be a witness to them. Even the way you manage your time may be a witness to them because you have kingdom of God values. You're no longer just a student. You're called to go into a dark place and shine. You're no longer just retired, but you're seeking out ways that you can be a blessing to others, and you're on mission for the glory of God. If you're a Christian, you're on mission. And your life and your position should look different, and you probably shouldn't be bored if you see the kingdom of God. But you see, if you're still hoarding idols and you refuse to go, you're not free. And you do have something to lose. But Christians have nothing to lose. You've been seated in the heavenly places. You have an inheritance laying up for you in heaven. You have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. And that's the best position to be in, to be a blessing to other people. Those are like the football teams you don't want to face. They're the scariest people who can be like dangerously effective. They have nothing to lose, right? Same thing for you. If you have nothing to lose, you can be dangerously effective for the kingdom of God. So go. All of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And if you uh, are in Christ, you are uh, inheriting all of the blessings of the kingdom of God. If you put, until you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you won't be free to respond to the call to go. And you won't have joy. And even if you're a Christian, you can be a Christian and still be hoarding idols and, and be in bondage to those idols and will not respond to what God is particularly calling you to in life until you let them go. But when you let them go and you follow God in faith, not knowing what lies ahead, you will live a big life like Abram and you will be dangerously effective and it's fun to be on mission for the kingdom of God. So let us bless others. May all of the families of the earth be blessed through the church as we rely on the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son to redeem us. We thank you that he left his heavenly country with you and he left your house in order to bless us. He is heir of the world. All of of the promises, your promises, find their yes in him. And by grace, we've been brought in to experience those blessings because he did not keep them for himself. And we confess that we cling to our idols often and they keep us from responding in obedience to your calling on our lives. And so, God, this morning... I pray that you would expose our idols and we would be honest with ourselves 
and increase our faith in your sovereign care when you call us to go out on your word alone. God, I pray that out of our fulfillment in Christ, it would overflow in the blessings that we experience as your children, that we would be a blessing to others every day where we work. Uh, And God, bless Winter Haven and more. We ask you to bless this work. And finally, God, I ask that if anyone here doesn't know Christ and they feel your call in their life, that you would give them boldness to respond and to leave everything and to run to you yelling life, life, eternal life. And in Christ's name we pray. Uh, Amen. Whatever you're going out from here to face, uh, this benediction is the promise that as you go, God goes with you. Uh, He goes with you to equip you to submit your life's mission to his greater mission, to insert your story into and get caught up into his story. Uh, And so as you go, receive this word from him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.